Why don't you grab your Bible and uh, turn to Job chapter 1. While you're doing that, let me ask you a question. Um, why do people suffer? And this is not a, like a preacher rhetorical question. This is the part where you guys talk. Why do people suffer? Yes, uh, Ruth, and then we'll get to Rich. Okay, let's... Okay. Okay, because of sin. Okay, and here we're thinking one's own sin. Okay, very good. And Rich? Okay, we can break this down and we could also say the sin of others. Do people suffer because people other people sin against them? Okay, very good. Yes. Okay, the absence of God. Okay. And expand on that a little bit. Is it a C or an S? It's a C, isn't it? I failed spelling, so you guys help me here. Can you expand on that a minute? Uh, what do you mean by that? They, they don't have God in their life or... Okay, they don't have God's provisions. Okay, very good. Someone else? Gary? Okay, the fall. I'm going to put this right here. I'm just going to call it, uh, <laughs> we live in a sinful world, right? And, and maybe maybe we can even lump that in, lump that into here, Okay. People live without God because they live in a sinful world. Okay, so we'll include that in there. Uh, was it Marnie or Bill? He took it. Okay, Daryl? Okay, we suffer because it has some good benefit. Is that what you're saying? Or did I misunderstand that? Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay, so who's doing all that? God is. We can say God because he has some good purpose behind it. Okay. Okay. Okay, so we need to put a question mark here. One of you mentioned it, but not as an answer. Yeah, John? Ego? <laughs> okay, is that... Okay, that would be a big manifestation of one's own sin. Very good. One of you mentioned it, but you didn't say it as an answer. There's there's one third big bucket category here. Satan. Okay. Um If you survey scripture, 
Why do people suffer? You get three categories. You get sin, my own sin, the sin of others, and the fact that we live in a fallen world. Uh, Remember Romans 8 says that as a result of sin, God judged and cursed the world, right? That's the result of the fall, as one of you said. So we suffer, number one, because of sin. Number two, because of Satan. We've learned that in Job so far. And number three, ultimately, uh, in God's wisdom, in God's plan, uh, he uses suffering, as Daryl said, to refine us, to uh, refine us like gold. He has a good purpose, um, and he, he runs everything according to his providence. Okay, so those are sort of the, the, the three categories. And I appreciate one of you that said, we don't know. Uh, I think that was um, Steve. Because one of the messages of this book is that there's a lot that happens that God does not give us a specific reason. And one of the things we see at the end of the book is it is foolish to try to interpret God's reason when he hasn't given us one. Okay? And it's really foolish not just to interpret it, then to go rebuke your friends about it, right? That's, where, that's one of the things this, there this book goes. Now, what are we doing here? Did I do that already? Okay. Um, when I, I did a sermon that kind of introduced Job, I don't know how many months ago, and one of the things I brought out, I want to just review it for us. I think most of you are here for that is that when we read Job chapter 1, we get three, I'm calling them dimensions of suffering that are revealed to us. Three um, explanations, if you want to call it that. And, uh, and this is very interesting because as far as I can tell, there's really no other place in Scripture that gives this this sort of threefold perspective on why there's suffering. Okay? Now, we're going to see the same three that the whole of Scripture outlines here. We're not going to see all of these at play in the book of Job. In fact, the one that we don't see, well, we'll save that for later on. I'll leave you hanging there. Uh, There's one that we don't see, and it's the one that Harold Kushner in his book, uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, it's the one that he makes the issue in Job. And ironically, it's the only one that's not in the book of Job. So... There you go. Okay, first of all, we see as we survey Job chapter 1. You've been reading Job, by the way? You reading Job like I asked you? Okay, no? Okay, we'll get back at it, okay? Uh, There's a human dimension. Suffering happens because of people and events in the world. And we might say because of sinful people and sinful events in the world. Have we seen that? Look at this. Job chapter 1, verse 15 the messenger, the first messenger comes in and says to Job, the Sabaeans attacked and took them, took the uh, oxen and the donkeys, and then they slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. 
Behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. There's a human dimension on suffering that's revealed in here, and this is the most obvious. This is the one uh, probably most people in the world, it's the only reason that they really believe in, is the Sabaeans. Those guys were some uh, nomadic pirates from southern Arabia. You'll remember uh, Job lived in what would, what would be like the northern part of Saudi Arabia today. These are some guys from the south end there. And um, Job suffered in part because of what these guys did, right? Would you agree with that? These guys came in and killed some of his animals and some of his servants. We also hear about the Chaldeans. They were from uh, the northeast. And uh, they likewise came in, killed animals, and killed some of his servants. And finally, the weather. The weather. Now, this, this is interesting. Uh, why do we have weather? Can we, can we just develop a mini theology of weather here real quick? Yes, good. Okay. It moderates the temperature of most climates so that you know, most of the world is inhabitable. Okay, very good. Okay. Yeah, why do we have weather? It's part of the creation. Okay. Um, yeah, Wes. Might have been part of the downfall. Okay. Okay. Yeah, what was the weather like in Eden? Does anybody know? Anybody know the weather in Eden? What's that? 80 degrees, blue sky, sweet tea in the hand, right? Okay. Well, the answer is we don't know. And I appreciate what you're saying. You know, one of you is saying it's a product of creation. One of you is saying it's the product of the fall. And the answer is we really don't know. Maybe a little bit of both, probably. Obviously, there had to be some sort of weather, some sort of climate to sustain the creation before the fall. But I would suggest to you that a lot of what we attribute to weather is really more a part of the Romans 8, the curse of the world, really. Um, and in this case, this would be what we might call a natural disaster, right? A natural disaster, the fire of God, which is probably a euphemism for lightning, uh, in 116 comes down and probably set a, a big portion of Job's pasture on fire, and that's why it was able to consume all of those animals and then what about this? A great wind, likely a tornado in 119 that comes in and destroys the house that uh, Job's children are in and kills them. And um, that shouldn't be under weather because weather, sickness and weather are two different things. Um, but we can put sick, just put sickness as a, as a fourth category there. I think that should have been a bullet point under weather there. Uh, sickness... Illness. Why is there sickness and illness? Because yeah, because of sin, not, not not directly because of sin, but because we live in a fallen, cursed world. Um, but but the point here is to see that, that there are what we might call natural explanations to the suffering we see here. There are some mean guys called the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans who went in and killed a bunch of animals, killed a bunch of servants. There's a natural disasters, this tornado, this lightning uh, that uh, killed some people, killed some animals. And then there's just this thing we call sickness and illness. 
uh, the result of living in a fallen world. And uh, Job later on in chapter 2 is afflicted with a sickness. Uh, we, we just prayed for a whole bunch of people that have sickness and disease, right? That, that's, that's part of living in the world we live in. Okay, so there, there's a human dimension. Now, here's what I want you to see. Um, nobody in the book, nobody in the book of Job ever blames Job's suffering on any of these things. Never. Isn't that weird? I mean, if, if, um, if you were on a, a cruise ship and some pirates pulled up and took over the ship and ended up killing some of your friends, some of your family members, who would you blame? The pirates, right? Of course. You know, the news crew. How do you feel about these pirates that have, t- have killed, brutally killed your family? Everybody would be blaming the pirates, right? Or the weather, or natural disaster, or or disease, cancer, or or illness. But nobody in the book blames those things. Now, now we're not supposed to take away that you know that's not important or, or that's not um, that's not something to consider. It certainly is. But but part of what Job is trying to do with us is to bring our focus away from the first dimension of suffering that we all typically jump to which is the human dimension. And it's trying, to, it's trying to steer our thoughts and steer our focus to another explanation, to a different explanation. Not, not that this isn't real. And, and one of the things we're going to see is that it's not like the Sabaeans and Chaldeans, God just says, well, this is part of my plan, so don't worry about what you did. What they did was clearly an evil, bad thing to do, and God will judge them rightly for that. But that's not the dimension that the book of Job wants us to focus on. So let's summarize this and we'll go on to the next one. Suffering happens sometimes because we live in a sinful world. We live in a sinful world. This is a key text, so I would like you to turn there and look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is that uh, portion in Scripture where um, uh, Paul's gotten to the end of his discussion about uh, the gospel and about um, what it means to walk with Christ. And he's talking about our adoption as sons. You remember that? And he's talking about how we cry out to God, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with us. And he's talking about this this calling out to God, this longing to be with God. And then he kind of turns the corner and gives this little parenthesis in verses 18 and following. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. He says, you know, the glory that's coming, what's coming in eternity is way better than any suffering you're going to endure here. Verse 19, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That's kind of weird, but what he's saying is, at some level, the creation anticipates the glorification of believers one day. That's what he's saying. If you can personify creation, he says the creation itself is anticipating, waiting eagerly for the glorifying of believers, the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, what does that mean? The creation 
was subjected to futility. What's that talking about? Gary. Okay. Yeah, futility. Okay. The creation was subjected. Something something was imposed on creation that causes it to run down, to be vain or futile, the word means. Um, and, and notice what it says here. Not willingly, it wasn't the creation's fault, but because of him, because of God who subjected it in hope, but what's the hope? 21 says that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. That is describing Genesis 3 when God pronounced a curse and judgment on the ground because of Adam and Eve's sin. And what we see and experience in the world as just normal running down of things, illnesses, sicknesses, suffering, disease, natural disasters, all this sort of thing is a result of the judgment of God upon creation because of Adam and Eve's sin. And the point of this verse is that there's coming a day when that will all be changed. Verse 21, when they'll be set free from that slavery into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And until then, verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And then he goes on to talk about how you know we as uh, believers groan for that same uh, glorification to come. But, but his point here is that when the fall happened, the creation suffered. And a lot of what we chalk up as suffering in the world comes from that judgment on creation. Sinful people who sin and hurt themselves, sinful people who sin against others and hurt them, and just a sin-cursed world that we live in that has all sorts of bad things because of that. Okay, First dimension is something, it's first dimension of suffering, not something, it is something, but suffering. Um, that's the most obvious one. The second one is what we might call an angelic dimension. Do you remember these from, from my sermon? Suffering happens because of angelic activity. This includes the activity of Satan, demons, and angels. If we just wander through our narrative, if we go back to chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, if you go back to Job now, we know that the events of Job's life are coming about in part because of Satan's activity. That's something that we as the readers are given insight into. Now, the interesting thing is, does Job know anything about Satan going to God? Does Job know anything about that? Shake, shake your head. No, he doesn't. Okay? Do his friends know anything about that? No. Does his wife know anything about that? You're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> we'll get to her in a few weeks. Just hang on. Yeah. No, nobody in the book knows. This is, some, this is one of those things where Scripture gives us insight that nobody in the story actually has. And that's, that's part of uh, what we're supposed to understand is a lot of what's going on in Job's life is because of the activity of Satan in his life, even though he doesn't have a clue about that. Satan seeks God's permission to take away Job's family and possessions. He then asks uh, God's permission to take away Job's health. And our conclusion is that suffering happens sometimes because of angelic activity. Now, uh, if you remember when um, Gary taught on Daniel, what, a year or two ago, um, there's that portion that talks about uh, the archangel Michael and his involvement um, in a cosmic battle of some sort. 
Uh, we read a little bit about there. Uh, back in uh, the book of Jude, we learn of the, uh, a similar situation with Michael who had some sort of argument with Satan over uh, the body of Moses. And, you know, there's all, you get these little snippets of uh, stuff in Scripture where there's angelic activity and the Bible pulls the curtain back just for a second and says, here's a little bit of what's going on in day-to-day life that you guys don't see most of the time. And that's all it is. It's, it's a snippet. It's, it's a little sidebar is all it is. And all we can do is go, you know what? We can't really build a theology around this, but we do need to be aware that sometimes suffering happens in our world because of things going on in the angelic world. And that's about all we can conclude at this point. Uh, I said in my sermon, I'm going to say it again, sometimes suffering has nothing to do with the people that are suffering. In, in the specific scheme of things. Now, one of you mentioned God's always working good. That's true. God's going to take that and redeem it in some way, just as he does in Job's life. But in terms of the particular reason, you know, this has nothing to do with Job, as far as we know yet, right? There's nothing in chapter 1 and 2 that would make us conclude that the suffering in Job's life has anything to do with him. It's about God and Satan right now. Um. And God, it's interesting, what God is going to do is he's going to show that Satan is a liar. He's going to show that Satan's charge is absolutely false. And he's going to use Job uh, to do that. Now, anytime anybody suffers, should we go, mm-hmm, there's probably some demon behind this one, right? Is, is that what we're supposed to take away from Job? That's why I said we, we, we don't want to build a huge theology. We just want to be aware that sometimes uh, suffering results from angelic activity. And, and I go a step further. We know not just suffering, other events in the world happen because of that, because of Satan's activity in the world. See? So far, so good. You guys okay on this? And then there's a third dimension. Ironically, this is the one that Christians struggle with the most. Believe it or not. A divine dimension. Suffering happens ultimately as part of God's good, sovereign plan. How do we know that? Well, look back here at chapter 1, verse 12. Satan comes. He charges God. And he says, verse 11, Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Now, look back at verse 11. Does Satan say to God, watch this. I'll show you that you're wrong. Is that what he says? What is he? Look, look at 11. Read it closely. What does he say? If God, if you do this, so such and such is going to happen, right? So it's not like Satan even assumes that he's going to have the permission to do it. He's just saying, God, if you were to totally change your plan with this guy, he would curse you instead of bless you. But Satan assumes no intrinsic power to do anything in this man's life. We don't know until verse 12 that God's going to give him permission to do that. And then we see the same thing in chapter 2, verse 6, where uh, once again Satan goes to God and God gives him permission. Now, Job consistently viewed his suffering 
as coming from the Lord. This is very interesting. Look at verses. Uh, look at verse uh, twenty. The the house is filling up with messengers, bringing him bad report after bad report after bad report. The last one comes in in 19, tells Job that all his children have died in a tragic accident. Verse 20 of chapter 1, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Key verse. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay? You got the picture? He's sitting there. He's just found out that everything that's important to him in his life is gone. He heard Chaldeans, right? He heard Sabaeans. He heard natural disaster. Who does he attribute all this to? To God. Isn't that amazing? He had better theology than most Christians today. Now, does that challenge you? Does that challenge you that... And he's not blaming God. I mean, we, we can see some people get angry at God. That's not what he's doing. He's saying... Lord, you did this, and I'm going to worship you, because I trust you. He consistently views his suffering. I've read this whole book. I've studied this whole book, backwards, forwards, right? No one ever blames uh, the people, the human dimension. Job consistently sees God behind all of this in his life. Furthermore, Job's wife viewed Job's suffering as coming from the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. You remember this? Uh, Job then gets the, the second round where he gets sick. He's got this skin disease where he's got these um, uh, boils all over his body. Uh, and and uh, I expanded on this a little bit when I preached on this. These boils um, were likely infected. Um, those of you with medical background, you can understand uh, skin disease with, with no antibiotic no topical treatments of anything, of any kind. Um, and the only relief he could bring was to scrape it with pottery. Well, what does that do? That infects the wounds, doesn't it? Verse 9, Then his wife said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Verse 9, Curse these Sabaeans and die. Right? Now, she's angry, right? She's very angry at God. But she still, she still sees that God is ultimately behind all of this. Number three, Job's friends. Let's skip ahead to chapter 4. and we won't, we won't look at all of the verses, but let's just look one as a sampling. Chapter 4, verse 9, uh, Eliphaz comes in and responds to Job's lament in verse chapter 3. And uh, he says, talking about why bad things happen to good people, right? There's the title. Verse 9, he says, actually, back up to 7. He says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, right? He's saying, nobody suffers who hasn't done anything wrong. 
Or where were the upright destroyed? Verse 8, according to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who, tro- and, and those who sow trouble harvest it. You reap what you sow. That's where that comes from. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they come to an end. So what does God do to people that sin? He punishes them, right? And Eliphaz is saying, God's just punishing you. And you guys know that the argument of the the first three friends, not not, uh, the fourth guy, but the first three guys is, Job, this is happening to you because there's some sin in your life and God is punishing you for that. So we conclude, suffering ultimately comes from God. Is that hard? Let me ask you a hard theological question. Is God responsible for what has gone on in Job's life? Think before you answer Is God responsible for the things that have gone on in Job's life? Okay. Go deeper, Rich. Go ahead. Very good. Someone else? Right. Okay. Okay. Do, do, do you see how hard this is? Because as soon as we say something, we have to qualify it. Right? Because we want to say, yes, God is responsible. Everybody says he's responsible, but, but God doesn't do sin and evil. Right? We know that. God can't sin. He, he's not tempted by evil, the Scripture says. We, say, we want to say Satan did it, but God was the one that granted him permission. Well, what is that? And how about these Sabaeans and Chaldeans? I mean, are they just going to get off the hook? Do you see the problem here? And, and this is one of those things where I just want to encourage you with, with this This area of theology, we have to be very, very, very careful when we talk about it. Because as soon as we make a statement, it requires some sort of qualification or or clarification. I just want to say one more thing. I think even unbelievers everywhere Mm -hmm. still attribute a lot of suffering to God. It's what what happens is they don't really understand the the, the character or knowledge of knowledge of God. Right. So, so let me let me just pull this together. That was very good, by the way. But pull this together just to kind of think about it. Um, when when the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, what that means is He runs this whole universe. He is ultimately in control of everything that happens. Okay, that's true. And He works all things according to His perfect and good plan. The the, the laying out of that plan, the operation of that plan, is called God's providence. That's his daily activity to uphold his creation. But in the same breath, we're going to say, but God is never responsible for evil, for sin, for wickedness, for suffering in the world. Scripture never holds him responsible for that in a moral sense. 
Is that hard? <laughs> Any of you guys totally understand that? You want to come up here and draw me a schematic, please? Okay? But that's the teaching of Scripture. And, and uh, any time I get the opportunity uh, I, I, with this issue, I just want to encourage you again, be very, very careful how you apply um, this teaching because it's so easy to end up in the ditch where we're saying God isn't responsible, He's not sovereign, or that He's responsible for sin and evil. And, and both of those are ditches on either side of the highway that we want to avoid. Because that gets us into to things that aren't true theologically. Morning. That's well said. So I have a responsibility for what I do with what happens to me. And I think another thing that raises, and that's a, that's a good point, is that intent is huge, right? Intent is something we have to talk about in all this. A classic example, uh, Genesis 50 with Joseph's brothers. What did Joseph say at the end of that chapter? You meant this for what? For evil. What was the intent of the brothers? What was the intent of the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and Job? To kill him, right? But, Genesis 50, God meant it for, for good. And that gets a little bit of what Marnie's saying is the agents, if you want to call them that, of Satan and people may very well intend it for evil and wicked and bad things. But God is somehow able to take that in his providence and intend it for good, Romans 8, Genesis 50, in the lives of people. So intent is huge in this. Yes, Daryl. About the salvation of them? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that the narrative gives us enough information to answer that question. Um, you know, obviously uh, they were involved uh, in a very godly family. Um, and... Uh, that's about all we're given there. So it appears that whoever wrote Job, the issue of their particular salvation was not one of the main things he wanted to discuss. But that's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But there's no guarantee as a son or daughter of a godly man, one, that you're saved, two, right. even if you are, there's, no, there's nothing guaranteed we're going to live. That's right. Uh, any more than anybody else. Uh, our time's our time. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, so let's make some conclusions here, okay? I'll just throw these up here. We want to embrace God's sovereign plan in all things. Um, that, that's part of what we're supposed to get from this book. When we think about these three dimensions, 
and we see Job, we see his wife, we see everybody in here, we're supposed to embrace God's lordship over everything. Um, and like I said, ironically, that, that's the one part of this that Christians are going to argue with the Scripture about today. They don't like to say God is, is over all, that he runs everything, because there are things that happen in the world that we would say, how, how does a good, loving God allow that? Um, but, but that's one of the messages of this book, is we need, need to see uh, God's good plan, as Marnie was saying, in all things, and embrace his sovereignty in all things. Number two, we need to recognize God's good agenda to make you, to make us more like Christ in all things. Romans 8.28, that's a good, a one, a verse. Someone want to quote that for us? Romans 8.28. Okay. God is working all things together for the good of believers. And 29 says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. So, so it's like the target, the target that God is aiming at in working all things is to make every believer like Jesus Christ, to conform us to the image of his son. So when I talk about perspective or, um, yeah, like Marnie was saying, if, if, if you're a Christian, Romans 8.28 says everything that happens in your life, God has a good purpose. And that's not like, you know, I mean, we can go to Walmart and go to the sympathy section in the card aisle and find some hallmark thing that says, well, we know good will come out of the tragedy in your life. Okay, That's not what we're talking about. Not some wishful hope that, that somehow, some way, things are going to be... But the, the good God, gracious Lord of the universe has a particular, specific plan for your absolute sanctification. And in everything that happens, what he is doing is precisely what you or I need to move us to the next step of being more like Jesus. You see the difference? A little bit different there. Uh, number three, we want to avoid the practice of trying to interpret God's providence. Um, we're going to get to this later on, but it's worth mentioning right now. We get into a whole lot of trouble when we claim to know the reason why God does things in the universe, especially when he doesn't tell us why he does those things. Okay? Now, can you see, these are big categories, aren't they? These are big categories. These are not specific. You know, the reason that you got cancer is because... Um, and we need to be very, very careful about that. Okay, what what given what we know, what would be a good way to minister to people who are suffering? What's that? Compassion. If they're believers, I don't know about you. I'm camping out right here. Even though this may be true, even though this may be true, I, I, I'm never going to know this unless, you know, there's some prophetic insight like in the tribulation period that that tells us about that but in our assuming that doesn't happen in our lives we never know this um sometimes we see this but the message of job is you camp right here and you encourage people that the god of the universe is the one working a good plan in your life okay
then um, Winans, Midlands, Blubberin, McLean, all that stuff is off. It's out of the, I can't do it. It's praise, worship, <laughs> adoration, thankfulness. Yeah. Because he's the one that caused my refrigerator to break down that I don't have anymore. He's the one that brought that to my life. He's the mm-hmm. one that made me drop the anvil on my toe. Right. Or, not, you know, not made right. me, but, but allowed that to happen to reveal my heart. Mm-hmm. These are all great things. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see it that way. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. That's true. This has huge impacts for what Marnie was saying our responses are to these things. Let's wrap this up here, and we'll we'll put a little parenthesis in our notes um, or a comma. Uh, We never want to use God's sovereignty to excuse human sin and responsibility. Okay, Just because God is ultimately over everything doesn't mean... People aren't responsible for their sin. Are those Chaldeans responsible? Absolutely. Are the Sabaeans responsible? Sure they are. If I sin against another brother or sister, am I responsible? Sure I am. So I I never want to use this to excuse this. Okay? I think we're all okay on that. But that's one of those things, again, you've got to be so careful how you talk about things. And then the last thing... Uh, just be aware of the cosmic dimension, the angelic dimension behind some events in history. <laughs> I'm not sure why. God almost teases us with that, doesn't he? He gives us just enough information to go, oh, wow, that's interesting, and then he, he ends the conversation. Um, but at some level, um, angelic events play out in our lives, uh, including in the area of suffering. Okay, well, we're... That's right. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. Right. Well, I appreciate you, you, you drawing that out because even though this is true, we never know it. We never have any way of assessing that. That's why I said God kind of teases us with that. But, but I think here's what we're supposed to get with just, just thought and, and we'll quit. I've said it before. I've said it again that, that we, we never want to look at just this and say that is the only reason why things are going on in my life. Um, God has a cosmic agenda where he is thwarting the works of Satan. And sometimes he brings into the human dimension... Um, some activity, some response, some life situation in order to do that. Okay. All right, put a comma in your notes, and uh, let's pray.